You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors. Fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. the podcast that can never go back to the county library because it has too many books that are overdue. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. I'm Scott. We have our friend Scott back with us again. <laughs> Woo! And if you are participating in the Oh No Lit Class Facebook group, which, you know, gosh, I hope you are, he's the asshole who won't stop putting puns in there. Scott is here with us today talking about a book that is... Very near and dear to my heart. A Wrinkle in Time! Because the movie just came out. Today, as, as we're recording this, we actually just got back from seeing it. Is that what that was? Well, you wandered into uh, Fifty Shades Freed, so I don't know what you experienced. We had to pull you back out. <laughs> he didn't want to miss the climax. No. No, I didn't. <laughs> but ching So, we're gonna save talking about the movie until we get near the end and we discuss uh, adaptations and stuff like that. You'll know when we get to it, and then you could just bail out. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can trust us. Yeah, just like Christian. We got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Yeah, well. I know. When you decided to put away that leather harness forever, I was like, God damn it. So sad. <laughs> Hung up the harness. Good man now. Um, this is the best place to start a episode about a beloved children's novel, a Newbery Award-winning children's novel. I read A Wrinkle in Time at like the exact kind of perfect age. I was like nine or 10. I was in fifth grade and I loved it so much for reasons that we're going to kind of explore and discuss. So Scott, you just read it. (laughs) Yes. I I had always wanted to read it because I had like an original paperback of A Wrinkle in Time from when like my mom was younger and... I'd always wanted to read it, and then I saw Disney was doing it, and I'm just a Disney whore. So if Disney touches it, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll finally read it after, you know, 20 years of looking at the paperback. You just can, you're just a, such a slut for Disney. That's I what am. I'm hoping that they do something with Tomorrowland. <laughs> so was it the paperback cover with, like, the weird flying person on it, or the children's silhouettes in weird circles? Uh... You know, maybe I'm thinking of a different <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I wow. thought, like, I thought it had, like, this, it was, like, an arch, and then it had, like, this really Autobahn-ish type, type of illustration, like, there's, I don't fucking It, it might have. That I don't has, even like, a know. Now I have to look for it. covers. Now you have to look for it. Yeah. Don't mind me. I read the plot of A Wrinkle in Time. I had to check <laughs> the name of this uh, book here. Jesus Christ. Two days ago. I love it. No, you don't. I'm RJ. That's been Ono with Class. Good night, everyone. The next episode of Ono with Class will air. You're supposed to on be on March 29th. I'm sorry, you're supposed to be here to help He's me. He's such with a bad him. influence. He is. Just Good night, the kids. Worst. Okay, so I must have been thinking of a different book. It also had to do with science in an inextricable way involving children. So Solid. I'm not that far off, but way off. It's just, I'm not, I was close, except in that I, I was wasn't close, at all. I, listen, 
like according to quantum physics, I was super close. <laughs> according to Mad- Madeline Langle, Langle, we are we're being bad people right now. Yeah, I know. As as a child, it was just Matt Madeline Langle, Langle. Uh, we're gonna talk about what makes it such a unique children's book, and how it has endured for like almost 60 years and is now getting its day in the sun with its film adaptation and and oprah's there and And oprah oprah through oprah all things are possible that's what i learned from the movie yeah but before we can get to oprah we have to start with madeline which one there's a lot of them madeline albright the one who wrote the book so madeline wangle was actually born madeline wangle camp on November 29th, 1918, and died September 6th, 2007. Madeline Camp was named for her great-grandmother, Madeline Langle. Shocker. Who was known by her nickname, Maddo. M-A-D-O. Maddo. Really? Madu, Matt, Matt, just Maddo. Matt. Rachel Maddo. Rachel Maddo. Maddo. <laughs> How do you guys think? Maddo. Maddo. Now, usually I'm the one who has to come up with the nicknames, but here's a rare chance where I'm gifted with not having to undertake the usual Herculean task. And you know what I say? Maddo 3, in the story of unoriginal naming. So you might ask yourself, why is she Maddo 3? Why is she Maddo 3? Well, Grandma was just Maddo. Who was Maddo 2? Who was Maddo 2? Oh, well, Maddo's daughter, Maddo 3's mom was Maddo 2. Yep, grandmother, mother, daughter, we're all Maddie. Just three generations of of Maddos. It's a mad, mad, Madeline world sometimes. Wow. (laughs) Anyway, Maddo 2 was a professional pianist, and her husband, Maddo 3's dad, was a writer and critic as well as a foreign war correspondent. Of note, he covered World War One. He claimed to have suffered lung damage while covering the Great War. His family, after he died, said that was just a story to cover for his rampant alcoholism. Sometimes families can't let good fake stories stand. <laughs> they just yes. can't let good alcoholism slide. <laughs> So, Maddo III was brought up in a rather affluent family. Being exposed to writing at such a young age, it makes sense that she began to write her own when she was merely five years old. Now, despite writing from such a young age, she sucked at school. You know what they say about Maddo III? Good at writing, horrible at everything else. She was reported- What? Wait, wait, what? Yeah. what do you mean, that's what they say? That's what they say. She was reportedly- That's what, a- you, that's what you say. Oh, I'm part of they. But you're making it sound like this <laughs> is like some kind of weird aphorism. I'm like, you know what they say. If they're good at writing, they just they're well, suck no, at all she, the other shit. She specifically. She was, was good at writing. That was Langle's first fame, claim to fame, <laughs> being a household name and being a terrible student. Mm-hmm. She was reportedly a shy, clumsy child that, I'm not joking here, this is a quote. Quote, branded as stupid by some of her teachers. Well, I mean, th- this is going to make sense when we get into the book proper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. School was not her thing. Uh, since she sucked at school and couldn't please her teacher, she kind of became shyer and more secluded. It kind of sucks when even your teachers are bullying your ass. So, yeah. <laughs> so Matt 3 focused on her own reading and her own writing. This caused her parents to try and figure out what to do with her. Her parents often squabbled over how to best educate and raise her. Generally, their solution was just to send her to one boarding school after the next. She never really succeeded at any of them and instead just followed the same script at each school she wound up at. Well, it could have been worse. It could have been like Zora Neale Hurston where they just went, mm, we're just going to leave you in Jacksonville. <laughs> no, we'll Bye. get to that. 
Things were not all that bad, however. Since the family had money, they traveled quite a bit. In particular, their favorite spot was the French Alps near Chamonix. Eventually, the family decided they liked being there so much and that the cleaner air was easier on dad's alcoholic lungs that they moved there full time. However, in what must have been a huge culture shock, when Maddo 3 was 15, her grandmother, Maddo 1, became very ill, so the family moved from the French Alps to move near grandma in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, no! Now... You're shitting me! No. Now, for those of you not familiar with Florida, in particular Jacksonville... Go back and listen to our episode on Zora Neale Hurston where we tell you that Jacksonville's the fucking worst. Jacksonville is butt. <laughs> First of all, it's named after Andrew Jackson, who's famous for killing Indians and having his likeness exchanged for street drugs thousands of times on a daily basis oh, across shit, I America. Didn't, I didn't know that part. Man, that makes it so much more. Uh, yeah, I actually didn't even know that either. <laughs> he was our first governor. What? What? Wow, you guys just don't know anything. No, we nope, don't. No, apparently not. Oh my God. We I... suck at school too. Yeah, we <laughs> do. He, he, Good he was, at writing, bad at school. Not a He was our first governor and... Being part of government, he got a name of town after Andrew Jackson. Explains yeah. so much Holy about fuck. Florida. Well, because he got them Seminoles, he didn't defeat them because they're undefeated, unconquered. True. But he got them a little out of the way. That's why Trump comes here all the time. Ugh. And not only that, Jacksonville smells like burnt paper because it's home. It was home to paper mills back in the day, which must have been great for Daddy Madhouse Three's lungs. <laughs> And we're talking Jacksonville in 1933. Like, there was barely even a Florida to speak of. Basically, we're talking about southern Georgia or really, really South Carolina. The family stayed in the area the rest of Maddow III's childhood. Shockingly, after just a couple of years in Jacksonville, uh, it wasn't Maddow I who died. Nope. It was Daddy. <laughs> the paper mill killed him. <laughs> His alcoholic lungs just couldn't take the paper mills. Rip. Jacksonville claims another. Gotta pour one out. After Daddy died, Maddow III went away to college. Having really taken a liking to the whole Southern living charm, she decided to go to college at Smith College in Massachusetts. Yeah, she got the fuck out. <laughs> it is one of those uh, private women colleges up in uh, the ne those neck of the woods, kind of like Mount Holyoke. Uh, by now, Maddow III figured out the whole school thing and graduated cum laude. Go her. Like basically every other American author we covered, you can guess where she moved after graduating from college. Ooh, 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 Kansas. No. Fuck. Damn it. Let's say it together. New, New York, York City. City. Once Damn. there, <laughs> yeah. once there, she caught the acting bug. Get with the program. Probably the most noteworthy play she was in a production of was Anton Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. Mm. I actually read that. Holy shit. I know. During that production, she met a sweet lad by the name of Hugh Franklin. She fell for him. He fell for her. They got married, and they had a kid named Bion. Yes. Bion? Yes. Byron without no. an R. Bionicle. Bion. Bionicle. B-I-O-N. Oh. The hell. It's not Bion? Bion? Okay, Bion. Is that much better? Is it like a, a Bible name? I don't think they're that crazy in the Bible. I there's, mean, some weird, there's some weird yeah. ass Bible names out there. There was a, there's Wilfred Bion or Bion, who is a British psychoanalyst. Somehow I don't think that's who he was named after. Oh, you know what? Uh, yeah, this might be it. A French commune near the Alps. Mm. The Reves du Bion. There you go. There you go. Mm. So, very white people move here. <laughs> they named their kid after some French Alps town. Their vacations. 
Yeah. That's probably oh. where he was conceived. Oh, we're going to get to where they summer. Oh, they summer. They summer. They summer. Very white. Now, these New Yorkers are obviously white and affluent. See, I knew that already. <laughs> so, what are white, affluent newlyweds to do? They moved into a 200-year-old farmhouse out in Connecticut. Hell, they were so white, they joined the choir of the local congregation church. Eventually, it doesn't Ma- get much whiter. Eventually, Maddow 3 became the choir director. So, Maddow 3 was living the life of white heteronormativity. She and the hubby collected three kids along the way, which, remember, included Bion. <laughs> collected. They found, they found them on the side of the packs. road. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing not going her way was the writing career. It was nonstop, rede- nonstop rejections. Hubby's acting career is what was bringing in the dough. As such, the family did spend a lot of time in New York when he was actively in a show. During a break in between Hubby's shows, the family went on a nice long, you know, 10-week camping trip across the country, mm. as most do. Ugh. It was during this time that Maddo 3 was writing what would become a wrinkle in time in her head. Once she returned to New York City, she sat down and put the story to paper. Like her previous works, A Wrinkle in Time was rejected. A lot. In fact, she went through 30 rejections before it was accepted. Maddow 3 said the common complaints were some form of too different and because it deals overtly with the problem of evil and it's really difficult for children and was it a children's or an adult's book anyhow? And the whole A Wrinkle in Time had a female protagonist in a science fiction book, which at the time was uncommon. The novel was published in 1962. How fucking dare they? Also, you're leaving out the part. So, yeah, so it was rejected more than 30 times. And also, when it finally did get published in 1962, she was 44 years old. So, you know what? Never fucking give up. Thanks, Jimmy. Don't fucking give up. (laughs) Keep going. Just keep going. You might be in your 40s. You might be rejected the bajillion times because people don't like your book. Because there's a girl in it and it makes people think about... Death and evil, I guess. In science. In science. But it'll happen. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Never surrender. The family was living full-time in New York now. They were living in an apartment that was sold by Maddow Three's estate in 2008 for $4 million. Which means, given it's New York, it must have been like 800 square feet. <laughs> the family summered in Crosswicks, New Jersey. Mm. Summering in New Jersey, huh? Crosswicks. I don't look up where that was. I was going to say, I don't know. I've never fucking heard of it. <laughs> Maddow 3 took up a life of lecturing and touring to give presentations. She continued to travel the world. In 1992, at the tender age of 74, she went to Antarctica, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. But the good the wife... The whitest did... place on Earth. Literally. <laughs> That's it. The ultimate white person <laughs> vacation. Or in 1999, at the age of 47, her son, Bayon, died due to alcoholism. Ooh. Because they weren't living in the beyond. Yeah. He was just named it. Everywhere he went, he got to think of the French house without actually being there. No. Nope. He could never live up to it. Just farmhouses in Connecticut for him. Can you, like, imagine just being, like, named for your parents' vacation getaway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that right? So, <laughs> so one day you're going you're gonna to talk to your son. You're gonna, Disney World, oh, you D-W? go talk to your sister, Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, she succumbed to her own mortality. She suffered a stroke, which limited her later in life before she passed away due to complications, September 6, 2007. Anyway, I would be derelict in my duties if I did not spend more time discussing how Maddow 3's religiosity affected her writing. As I mentioned earlier, she was big on the whole church singing thing and on the church in general. 
She was an Episcopalian. Wait, what the fuck would that mean? Like, yeah, no, she loves singing in the church. Not a big fan of Jesus, but she just loved them hymns. <laughs> when you uh, when you sing in the choir, it's like the next step. That's like <laughs> well, you're the way you fra- well, you level. you phrased it is not only did she sing in the church, she enjoyed church. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of figured. <laughs> okay. uh, so she was an Episcopalian that believed in universal salvation. She said of her beliefs, quote. All will be redeemed in God's fullness of time. All. Not just a small portion of the population who have been given the grace to know and accept Christ. All the strayed and stolen sheep. All the lost little ones. Basically, she believed in a benevolent, loving God. How dare she? Some Christians were not having this. So her books were banned at a good number of Christian bookstores, Christian schools, and libraries. Conversely, the fact that she believes in the big C and the big G made her too religious for secular critics. In short, she was damned by the damned as well as the righteous. You can't win. And as for those who criticized her writing for what they deemed children books, she claimed, quote, It's often possible to make demands of a child that couldn't be made of an adult. A child will often understand scientific concepts that would baffle an adult. This is because he can understand with a leap of the imagination that which is denied the grown-up who has acquired the little knowledge that is a dangerous thing. The child will come to it with an open mind, whereas many adults come closed to an open book. This is one reason so many writers turn to fantasy, which children claim as their own, when they have something important and difficult to say. In short, adults are idiots who had their ways and beliefs calcified in the harsh climate that is the world. It's true. Not the French Alps. That place is magical. Yeah. The end. <laughs> Poor Beyond. Poor Beyond. Poor um, one out for him. <laughs> poor one Something out. French. Poor one out for the Lingle family. But yeah, that was kind of the whole thing with, with the Wrinkle in Time and her just sort of shtick in general is that she did not talk down to kids. She said uh, that good writing for kids is writing that is childlike but not childish. Mm-hmm. Which which is amazing. Tight. Tight. <laughs> tight. Tight, tight, tight. <laughs> and that's why I loved it when I was a kid, because I hated fucking books that would talk down to kids, you know? I wanted weird, challenging shit. All her, her books have this big old shared universe thing going on, uh, with characters from separate series actually, like, crossing over and appearing in different unrelated books that she's written. Hmm. Not as, like, an intentional crossover, just because, like, oh, there's so-and-so, and her daughter's in this story, and what? what this, this is happening. So she divided all the characters from her books into two categories, Kronos and Kairos. Kronos books were grounded in reality with minor sci-fi elements, and Kairos is where the crazy time travel fantasy stories went. Uh, and they all crossed over and inhabited the same the fictional universe, somehow. So basically, Madeline Lingle had, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe going on. In her books. Yeah. I mean, she does use the word tesseract, as does the Marvel Universe. This, this is true. She, well, it is a scientific concept. Shush. Oh my god, what if what if they uh, cross over Marvel with The Wrinkle in Time? Yes. Well, they it's get all, the tesseract and it's, it's the reality Disney. gem. It's all Disney it's now. All Disney. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I love these books is because they weren't afraid to be like absolutely crazy and super high concept and, and strange, but still able to be followed and enjoyed by kids. She teaches kids about death and truth and philosophy and fucking quantum, quantum physics. physics and mechanics and <laughs> string theory and manipulation of atoms and G's and crackers. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some Jesus there, but it's for the secular children, it doesn't get in the way as much as, like, Chronicles of Narnia. 
Like, when I was a kid, the, the spiritual elements really didn't penetrate. But for the first time I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, yeah. and I think I was, like, 9 or 10, probably the same age, it's like, this lion is Jesus. Yeah, and Santa <laughs> hands out weapons. Yeah, he does. Merry Christmas. Here's a sword. Go fight the devil. Yeah. I mean, well, because the thing is, with The Wrinkle in Time, there's so many more elements in play that are also being mixed in. So it's yeah. it's, it's not kind of like a straight, flat-out uh, parable like Chronicles of Narnia is. All right. Okay, so let's get into the book itself. Woo. Time. As she is wrinkled. So we What st- is she? <laughs> Who is she? <laughs> when? Where? What? How? What's it? Why? <laughs> Who's which? And witches. <laughs> I'm a terrible this is, person. This is garbage. Um, so it all starts on a dark and stormy night. I know. With 13-year-old Meg Murray in her attic bedroom, thinking about all the bad shit that she's been dealing with lately. Namely, puberty and everything that comes along with that. Having glasses and braces and therefore being a horrific, ugly monster. So, you know, we can go ahead and add, like, self-esteem issues to that mm-hmm, list as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, her teachers think she's dumb. That sounds familiar. Me, uh, me, no, me too. I meant Matt for Madeline Lingle, but maybe your, oh, teacher, oh, maybe, maybe oh, your teachers also your teachers thought you were dumb. Your teachers think you were dumb? Because my teachers thought I was stupid as fuck. <laughs> no, my teachers would get pissed at me because I'd be reading instead of doing the work they wanted me to. Oh, okay. I didn't even read. RJ, did your teachers think you were dumb? Never. I'm the, I'm the odd man out. Yeah, I well, was, I was a genius. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you beautiful were. Beautiful genius. Just a I was. Big, a big, beautiful genius. Uh, but you know who else feels like an oddball? Meg. She feels like the oddball of her oh, family. Oh, Meg. I'm so sorry. I just made that connection well. Her, okay, her Meg is short for Margaret, though. She, she doesn't she, make sense at I, Yeah, all. I never understood that's like, But that's like a common Marge. thing, that, that, that Meg is, is short for Margaret. Right. I don't that's understand Marge. it. I, yes, that's another one. Margo. Yeah, but no, Meg is one. I have no Mag. idea why, but I've seen it. Madge. Madge. Midge. I only hear Midge once. In The Simpsons? Yeah, yeah. most is like. Yeah. Meg. Feels like the oddball of her family because her parents are brilliant scientists and her younger twin brothers, Sandy and Dennis, are like at least normal and popular and cool. And uh, her youngest brother is a certified baby genius. And speaking of her little brother, she also keeps getting in fistfights with bigger boys who pick on him and then getting in trouble for getting in fistfights. And am I leaving anything out? No. Well, oh, her father's missing. Yep, that's true. Four plus years. He went out for some milk. (laughs) And couldn't remember how to get home. <laughs> he went into a feudal state. A fugue state, rather. A feudal state. <laughs> a feudal state. He suddenly started commanding peasants and demanding tributes. It was really weird. Uh, so yeah, Meg's got a lot going on. And she's thinking about that stuff. And she's thinking about being scared that this storm is going to rip the roof off. And also these weird rumors she's heard about a tramp who's been wandering through town. And I guess that's like what they called homeless people back then they called them tramps they could just be slut shaming like this woman just could be walking through town and there goes that tramp yeah well, that dirty tramp stealing laundry i wonder what etymology of that is because i wonder if tramp like hobo came first or if tramp like harlot came first <laughs> we're not gonna look it up but maybe you can yeah go go do some etymology homework. chime in on twitter yeah so chime in on twitter where scott doesn't have to deal with it <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, there's a quote-unquote tramp who's been wandering the town stealing laundry, which really doesn't sound all that menacing enough for her to be worried about it. But this is like that golly gosh, leave it to beaver, no one locks their doors at night kind of late 1950s small town shit. Mm. So I guess sheet theft was like still a big deal. Well, maybe the, like, the major concern is like someone insane is going around and you never know what they're going to do. Yeah, you never know what those crazy laundry Sheet stealers. <laughs> those sheet stealers. Fuck. What they might be up to. What a world. Crazy world we live in. Uh, so Meg gives up on sleeping and goes in the kitchen to find it's her. It's a mad, mad Madeline world. I, 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 I thought he was going to come back with you. that. I was waiting. <laughs> uh, she goes downstairs and she sees her five-year-old baby brother. I know we're not doing that. So he's, he's already down waiting for her, heating up some hot cocoa, because her brother's not only a genius, but also knows her so well that he may as well have a psychic link with her, and also might just straight up have a psychic link with mm-hmm. her. And you know the kid is some kind of tiny genius prodigy, because he's five, and he goes by fucking Charles Wallace. Like, it's a very regal name. Chucky yeah. Large. <laughs> Chucky Large. No, not, not Charlie, or Chucky, or not even Charles on its own. It's enough. It's gotta be Charles... Wallace. Wallace. Gosh. And then he says things, like he talks, like I have a quote here, and I just, I can't imagine a tiny child just saying, as he says, oh, inadvertently, that's a good word, isn't it? I got mother to look it up in the dictionary for me this morning. I really must learn to read, except I'm afraid it will make it awfully hard for me in school next year if I already know things. I think it will be better if people go on thinking I'm not very bright. They won't hate me quite so much. And I see, I can't even say that without doing some level of an affected voice. Yeah, you, you give it a mid-Atlantic accent. I, it's, it's, it's just, interesting. It, it just happens. When I reread the book, I told you earlier, I kept hearing yeah. Stewie Griffin's voice <laughs> in my head, and it was awful, and I did not want that. Yeah, I had I had just like a, a inquisitive child voice in my head, not mm. a not a mid-Atlantic accent. I don't know why. Head. It's just like, oh, oh, mother. Mother read it, read it to me in the dictionary. I'm learning things. I'm Charles Wallace. Yeah, I felt matter of fact for real. Like, oh, I had mother look it up in the dictionary for me. It's a good word, right? Yeah, I think so. Kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway, Meg and Charles Wallace have their cocoa and their mom, also unable to sleep, joins them. And Meg just sits there kind of moaning about that it's not fair that her mom is smart and pretty while she's just some sort of horrifying moron ogre. Which, like... Langlore remembers those girl puberty feelings with Mm. just vicious accuracy. (laughs) Because for real, though. And her mom's like, no, honey, it's okay. I was super ugly at your age. Like, I promise. And among this, Charles Wallace just sort of casually drops the info that he has a new friend named Mrs. What's-It, who's living in an abandoned house in the woods. And who the fuck is watching this five-year-old child as, as he wanders through the woods and befriends strange women? Again, it was a different time. What was it, 60s? Yeah. That would have been, well, it was published in 62, so she would have been writing it during, like, late late 50s, 1960, something Yeah, like I mean, who, who locks their doors? Who do lets their five-year-old go to houses in the woods on their own to meet women? Before they could have a conversation about stranger danger, there's someone at the door. It's a little old lady covered in, like, a dozen soaking wet scarves. Who's... Trick or treat! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is apparently Mrs. What's-It, who was wandering by in the middle of the storm and figured she'd visit her new pal, five-year-old boy Charles Wallace. And she knew it was his house. She could it, smell him. No, that, that's it. That, that's actually it. Yeah? <laughs> she said I know. she could smell it. You saw a dick anywhere. Oh, no! <laughs> no! No! <laughs> Hi, welcome to, is... uh, welcome to Oda Lip Class, the show where I repeatedly have to say we're not talking about child dick today. 
Do you pick these books? I don't. You know, I would pick nice, wholesome books like, Hey God, it's me, Margaret. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's no peen in that one. What's nope. the title, I think? Hey God, it's... Or, or, oh, are, 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 you, are you there, there God? God. Yeah, hey God. Hey yo. Hey yo God. Hey yo God. Hey yo God, I got my period. What it's you gonna me, help do? It's me, Midge. It's Madge. You gotta help me. Can you not with the computer? One of the alternate like titles for A Wrinkle in Time. Hey God, it's me, Meg. <laughs> I'm not having my period, but my dad's trapped in another dimension, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which has its own problems. So Meg seems to be the only one who has a problem with any of this. Like everybody else seems pretty chill. Mrs. What's It admits also that she is the sheet stealing tramp, that hussy. Mm. And uh, Charles Wallace gives her a little lecture about it, which is kind of adorable, a little baby lecture. Yeah. But yeah, so Mom, Mom Marie is, is not particularly phased by any of this weird shit, but after Mrs. Whatsit has had a chance to, like, sit down and warm up, she goes to head back out, and she turns to three of them, like, Alrighty, see you around. Have a good night. BTW, there's such a thing as a tesseract. And what? <laughs> for whatever reason, this is the thing that makes their mother flip the fuck out. Uh, but when Meg asks her mom what's up with Tesseracts, she just brushes it off like, oh, it's just this joke between your father and me about quantum dimensional travel through time and space. And BD, don't worry about it. Uh, and the next day, Meg goes off to school and gets in trouble for not knowing the imports and exports of Nicaragua and also yelling that knowing the imports and exports of Nicaragua is stupid. I mean, are you smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> what are the major exports of Nicaragua in the 50s? Like... <laughs> Tobacco? No. Like, what the fuck would it be? Oh, okay. Nicaraguan exports include coffee, beef, shrimp, lobster, tobacco, sugar, gold, and peanuts. I'm not a fucking idiot. Very diverse. Very diverse. What are its imports? What do you mean, what's its imports? Well, well, Meg was meant to know the exports and the imports. Oh, oh, look. I found a a nice website here. Telephones. (laughs) Like cell phones or like telephones? Um, Unclear. Telephones. Okay. <laughs> uh, petroleum. Okay. Plastic lids. That's a big thing they run in toilet paper. Mm, that's important. They, they have a bit of a trade deficit. They, they're ranked uh, 95th out of 184 countries. They need financing with RJ. They do need financing with RJ. All right. A spur of the moment here. Oh, jeez. Trade policy. <laughs> hey, you know how you were about to hear this story of fantasy and excitement and wonder? Let's, nope. Nic- Nicaragua. Trade policy. Nicaragua. So that's it. Okay. That's all he's got. And that's yeah. finance with RJ. Thanks for tuning in this week. So moving away from Nicaragua, Meg has to go to the principal's office. Why? What'd you do? Because she was being belligerent. She was yelling at her teacher about how she didn't care about Nicaragua. So the principal, you know, is like the fifth person so far in the book who takes the time to be like, Meg, your life would be easier if you chilled out and you weren't so like fight me all the time. Also, your dad's never coming back. Because that's a thing that principals tell students. Yeah. <laughs> stop, being, stop being a pain in the ass just because your dad left you. Yeah, it's the perfect way to get a kid to behave. Yep. So she goes home and Charles Wallace leads her out to the woods to go see Mrs. What's-It and her friends and learn what a tesseract is and why it made their mother shit a brick and also tell them to stop stealing laundry. Instead, they find a kid named Calvin who goes to Meg's school. Despite the social handicap of being a ginger, Calvin is popular, good at sports, and also smart enough to have been moved ahead a few grades. So... What's he doing chilling in the woods? Anybody? Any takers? He just had a strange feeling that he needed to be there at that very moment. Cocaine. Yeah, he's just in the woods doing fucking rails of coke. Um, yeah, it's gonna have I thought they were in an orchard. 
They may have been in, in Orchard. It's oh, a yeah. detail that's not necessary. <laughs> oh, was it? I've been playing fast and loose with my ver- descriptions of verdant areas. But didn't didn't Long live? Didn't she live near an orchard? No, she was. That's what I was going to ask. Was it a cherry orchard where they acted out checkoffs? Oh, right. Orchard. That's what I thought. Like that's why she they met in an orchard. There you go. So yeah, no, uh, you are correct. He just felt like he was supposed to be there at that place in time. Because feelings. This is the first time I've been good at school. There you go. You're doing so well. Yay, gold star. He and Charles Wallace uh, sort of immediately bond over being weird, semi-psychic kids. And all three of them visit the abandoned ghost house together, where they find not Mrs. What's-It, but another old woman with huge glasses named Mrs. Who, who mostly only speaks in quotes and translations and references to other things. Can I just talk about how awesome some of those quotes are? They're very good quotes in there. If you, oh, like, if you had any grab, and this is before the internet, so she had to deep dive for those fucking quotes. This is true. She Ooh. would have had to have like gone to the library or read an encyclopedia or some shit. Yeah, or bought a book. Or that. Who buys those? Who, who does that? Books. So she does tell them that they keep stealing sheets so they could pretend to be ghosts and scare people off. Now. Spoiler alert, not for the movie, but just, you know, for the for the plot in general. These ladies are godlike extraterrestrial beings that can travel between dimensions with the ease of someone walking from the kitchen to the bathroom, and their solution for keeping people away from the house is wearing sheets and being Charlie Brown style ghosts. I got a rock. <laughs> she also tells them that Meg and Chucky W's dad is in danger and needs their help. Bum bum bum. And nothing else. Because the time isn't right. Can't do it. Nope. Enigmatic clues only. Yep. No questions allowed. Go home. And they do. And they take Calvin with them. And he's excited to potentially adopt himself into a new family because Calvin is one of 11 kids and generally ignored by his family. So between that and being a ginger, Calvin is essentially a Weasley. So Calvin stays for dinner and is just super about the Murrays and, and their love and family. And Meg has this moment of like, gosh, I guess my life really is filled with warmth and love, but it lasts like maybe a quarter of a second. Yeah, she's angsty. She can't feel happy. No, that's not allowed. No. He asks about Dad Murray, though, and then it makes it all awkward. And we get this backstory that he was a physicist working for the government and going on some kind of like special sort of missions as physicists are wont to do. And then he just never came back. Yep. He poofs for several years. And Mom Murray is just like, hey, let's maybe do some math homework. Raise your hand if you love math and hate confronting the trauma of having your husband abandon you. Ooh, me, 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 me. RJ, you okay over there? I am. You hanging in? Yep. You having a good time? Yep. So Calvin learns that Meg is really fucking good at math. Like, genius good, but she's failing because she always wants to fight the teacher. Because she always wants to fight every teacher ever because she's just fucking Meg catch these hands Murray and the only thing she likes more than being down on herself is fighting with people. That's how I do it. Speaking of, Meg starts crying about her dad, which you would figure is perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's not. (laughs) No? No, it's not. (laughs) It's wrong. Time to suck it up, Buttercup. You're just like the principal now. You're part of the problem. So she's having her dad motions, which is fine. No, it's not. Yes. and, and Emotions are wrong and weak. You cry every time you remember the movie Interstellar. You can take your, your stiff upper lip over to Matthew McConaughey in space. 
Anyway. What's up? So Meg starts crying and, and she's <laughs> like, oh man, Calvin, you, you must hate me because I'm gross and awful and dumb and have feelings. And Calvin is just like aggressively like, no, you're, you're cute and I like you. Stop negging yourself. Jeez, <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> Seriously. But before they have the chance to puberty all over each other, <laughs> Charlie Wallaby does a baby brother cock block and says the time has come to go and meet some magic old ladies and save their dad. And so there's Mrs. What's-It still just like trailing scarves and, and other bits of clothing. And Mrs. Who, who's throwing down some Dante quotes, because if there's one thing that tween readers can appreciate, it's references to the Divine Comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, now there's a Mrs. Witch, but she doesn't really materialize because that's a pain for her. Also, she talks like computer lag. I disagree. Well, because it's like, I cannot materialize. Takes too much energy. It's hard for me. Should I go with my interpretation? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, this was written for Oprah. (laughs) Her dialogue is written in all caps, in extended vowels and consonants. We are here! You gotta save that for the part when it happens. Okay, I'll hold it. I'll hold it. You gotta hold it. And then everything goes black. No, but really, just like that. And then, Meg Calvin and Charles Wallace are dumped out onto a grassy field on what the Mrs. W's inform them is a different planet, and that they got there through a means of dimensional travel known as tessering. Also, Mrs. Witch is visible now, and dressed like a witch, because puns. Puns. I love puns. Talk about tessering your patience. (laughs) And you hate me for posting puns on the Facebook page. It's funny when I do it. Oh, okay. Uh, Meg asks if this is the planet that her dad is on, but no, it's not. The Mrs. W's brought the kids here to see what their father is trapped behind. Namely, a big black shadow thing far off in the sky called... The Dark Thing. Or also the Black Thing pretty frequently. Yeah. I I gotta imagine that at some point... Lingle was just like, look, I'm, I'm going to come up with something better later. I'm just going to put, like, this is just a black thing. This is just a placeholder. It'll be good. I'll come back to it. And then she just never did. Let's call it what it is. Oh, shit. And um, I, I bury the lead here because in order to get high enough to I- encounter the black thing, I feel like you have to say it like that every time. Black thing. It's that indifference. Like, ugh. Yeah, it's the thing. Ugh. Mrs. What's-It flies them up there. Yeah, she transforms. <laughs> Into a winged centaur creature. I mean, that's my fantasy when I was a kid. <laughs> Hopping on the back of a, of a Mrs. What's-It? Mrs. Mrs. What's-It. What's it, turning into a centaur. Going up into the heavens to see the black thing. That is my exact fetish. Anywho. Mrs. Who? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ah. The black... Thing. Thing. Ugh. Ugh. Emanates pure evil and it, it kind of fucks the kids up. And Meg whines about having to get through it to get to their dad, and Mrs. Who assures them that they'll like tesser through it in short bursts and it'll be fine. And then Meg whines about not understanding tessering, and we get Baby's first introduction to quantum physics and interdimensional travel. Yay! Complete with handy visual aids drawn hmm. in the book, illustrating how they wrinkle time by pulling the points closer together. Uh, uh. And I, 
don't know shit about a science, so I mean, like, that sounds good to me. That sounds plausible. Oh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, you know, bending the physical, the physicality of time so that the two ends meet and you don't have to, you know, or place in space and time because they're the same thing, space yeah. and time. So, so when the science teacher on Stranger Things does the demonstration with the paper plate where he does that exact thing, it's literally stolen from a wrinkle in time. And then they're off again, this time testing to a planet that's home to a being known as the Happy Medium, a perpetually cheerful fortune teller complete with a crystal ball. Again, because puns. Yes. I mean, I, that's my favorite. It, it's a good pun. Mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. What's-It, who's back to being an old lady again instead of like some kind of angel centaur person, thank God, asks the happy medium to show the kids Earth in her crystal ball. The Earth, it seems, is being partially shadowed by the black thing, thing. which represents all the shitty things people do to each other on Earth. It's a pretty big bummer, but Mrs. Witch wants them to be prepared because the planet they have to go to to get Dad Murray uh, has been completely covered by this black thing. thing. And the happy medium is like, this has been really depressing. So like, no, let's let's lighten the mood. Let's look at something happy. Let's let's look at your moms. Except, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You see Meg, Meg and uh, Charles Wallace's mom crying alone at her work desk about their dad. All because Miss Watson had to mention something about a tesseract and bring all those painful feelings back in. And we see Calvin's mom, who's apparently a horrible, abusive woman who beats her kids and doesn't have teeth. <laughs> right, I forgot about the lack of teeth. <laughs> Not only is she horrible, she also doesn't have teeth. Yeah, because ugly stereotypes about impoverished uh, Irish immigrants coming over that just pop out babies. Madeline Lingle was a wasp who vacationed in the French Alps. Yeah. But on the bright side, seeing that her mom is sad and knowing that it's it's the black thing's Thing. fault has Meg good and pissed off and back in fight me mode, which empowered. is... Empowered! She's empowered! So they're off again, this time to a planet called Camazots. 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 Camelots. That was, I was just going to sing something from the musical Camelot. <laughs> it's only a model. <laughs> this is where Dad Murray is. The Mrs. W say that they can't go with the kids, though, for some reason. And then the enigmatic gifts occur. Yes, they, they do give the kids some, some power-ups in, in the form of gifts. They boost Calvin's powers of communication, mm -hmm. whatever that means. He's a debater. <laughs> a master debater. Oh, I thought RJ was going to say that, and I was going to chastise him for the cheap pun. No, he's not even paying attention. Master debater. Good job. You did, you did it. <laughs> you did it. Very proud. And then uh, Charles Wallace's childhood resilience, mm -hmm. which, like, I guess is when you see little kids, like, fall off the jungle gym and do a face plant onto some mulch, but then they, like, get back up and keep running, and they're fine. Oh, see, I thought it was the resilience to becoming an adult. Like the like the the light within him as a child it uh, hasn't been extinguished. Either way, I mean, I, I like kid, kids keep kids, trucking. Kid, kids do keep trucking, and then they boost Meg's faults. They 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 say, "I give you your faults," and she's pretty pissed about that. You know, those are the bad things, right? <laughs> but being pissed a lot is also one of her faults. Yeah, so it empowers her. Yes. It's okay to be mad, ladies. Yeah. Don't let a man tell you to calm down. You be as mad as you fucking want to be. Please do. Yes. Like, you're entitled for real. Let your powers of rage fling you across the universe to another dimension. To, to go, save a man. To go kick From some their ass. stupidity. Yes. Jesus. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, on top of her faults, Mrs. Who at least also gives Meg um, her, her glasses. Yeah, her spectacles. Her, her, her special spectacles. But only says to use them in the time of great need. Like, these are one-time-use glasses, which and is kind of shitty for, for glasses. And that's all for the Mrs. W's. The the kids go into town. And there's one more thing. Oh, there's one more thing. What am I forgetting? No matter what, don't let anyone separate you. Oh, yeah, that's true. Stay together, no matter what. That's no matter not foreshadowing. At wink, all. wink. <laughs> Mrs. Witch leans in and says, You stay together even if your dumbass dad tries to do something stupid. <laughs> so the kids go into town. And it, it's all samey and conformy and... Everyone is just like everyone else written in 1950s fear of communism E. Kids all go outside and bounce a ball in sync. Their moms call them in in sync. You get the idea. Can't deviate. No. A no kid, deviations. A kid, kid bounces a ball wrong and, and there are severe consequences. Oh, they are taken. Yes. They are. Liam Neeson's taken. Eventually they get to this this big building. The, the central, the central, central. Central, central, intelligence. Center. Something to that. Because it, it wasn't the CIA. No. I was like... <laughs> the Central Intelligence... A little too on the nose. Yeah, a little bit. The Central Central Agency of Central Agents. And so Charles Wallace's weird psychic boy powers tell him that this is where their dad must be. So they go in and they're taken to the man with the red eyes, who can talk to them with just his mind powers. And he tells them, like all good villains do, that he's been expecting them. He's also pulsing. So that's weird. Everything's pulsing. It's true, everything's pulsing, but he's pulsing the most. He's just sitting there pulsing, enjoying life. It's good to do kegels. <laughs> See, that was a joke I was waiting for. <laughs> so he, he tells them to give in and relax and other creepy shit like that that adults shouldn't say to children. Until Charles Wallace pulls a scout finch and gives the man with red eyes a solid kick to the nethers. <laughs> and the uh, the red-eyed man breaks his Bond villain act and is just like, how the fuck, dude? And Charles Wallace says, you know, he, he did it to, just because he wasn't sure the man was real. Because it seems like something else is actually speaking through, through him. him. So the man with the red eyes is like, oh, if you want to know what I am, just look into my eyes. And because Charles Wallace has never seen, like, the Jungle Book or Dracula, or really any of innumerable pieces of media and pop culture illustrating why this is a bad idea, he does it. Then he gets mind-controlled. Womp. Hypnotized Charles Wallace talks like even more of a fucking weirdo than regular Charles Wallace, and now offers to lead them to their father, telling them along the way that Camazots is awesome because there's no illnesses, because they kill anyone who gets sick. But also there's no murder, because it's not murder when it does it. But anyway... Oh, wait, sorry, you missed the part where Meg knocked Charles Wallace over and cracks his head against the floor. Oh, yeah, door shit. <laughs> to knock him out of the first time. I did. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely skipped over that. So actually, Char yeah, Charles Wallace looks the first time and gets mind controlled. And Meg, Meg, decides to yeah, Meg decides to deal with this by just body slamming her five-year-old brother to the fucking ground. And the literal description is cracked his head against the marble. <laughs> yeah. And then they say, oh, you almost concussed your brother. I think you did a little. Yeah, just a bit. And there's no point because he just says, no, like, no, 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 I'm going to do this again. And it's going to go better this time. Trust me, trust me. But it doesn't. Nope. So he's now under control of it. Yes, that's right. It. Capital I, capital T, not capital I, lowercase t. All caps all the way. The I-T. 
I thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> it is the boss. And also what's really controlling Charles W. to the Aulis right now. So finally, they end up in a room where Dad Murray is sort of suspended in the air. In a tube. Yes, in a in tube. In a tube of solidness. Yes. There's a lot of weird visualization-y things going on here. I'm doing my best. But Meg uses Mrs. Who's glasses to see a way through. Part the atoms yes. in the solid mass and get through. And so she, she gets in there, she grabs her dad, and she did it! And she's, she's got Dad Murray, and he's here now, and now that he's, and this is, this is Meg's thought process, that now that he's back, he can finally fix everything, and it's gonna be fine, and like, yes, thank God, there's an adult around, and it's just, it's all good now. Except it's not, because Dad Murray is fucking incompetent. I mean, he's been tra trapped in glass for four years. Exactly, like this dipshit tries to test her and immediately gets trapped in space prison. Whoops. <laughs> he also doesn't get that Charles Wallace is being mind controlled, even after Meg explains it to him. And he's just like, I'm your dad. You need to listen to me when I'm talking to you, Charles Wallace. Sir, you, you better mind your father. I've been in space. And no matter how many times Meg tries to explain, no, it's it that's controlling him. Her father's still like, well, I left when he was one. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm fine. So Charles Wallace leads them to the lair of it. It. Which unfortunately is not like the child eating nightmare clown no. it. But a big, wet, pulsating brain. On a dais. Yes. Just chilling in an empty room, leaking fluids and, and whatnot. And just like this pulsating rhythm in the room that just keeps pounding into Charles's mind. Pretty gross. That was oddly sexual. Sorry. That was that was a little sexual. That was, that was uncomfortably sexual. No. Pound into that mind. No. <laughs> Get up in there. No. Ugh. You did it this. You did nope. this. I'm sorry. Oh, he got that goo all over. Yeah. Oh. oh, brain. It juice. is the black thing. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, no. here. No. When do you go black? Mm -mm. You never go back. Mm -mm. Well, that's no. what that's what uh, <laughs> that's what Dad Murray's worried about because it is trying to take over all of their minds like he did to little Chucky W. And they all try to fight against it, and it is going very badly. So their dad tries to tesser them all to safety, and you know he just fucks it up. Mm -hmm. He just yeah, fucks yeah. it up so bad because for one thing, he abandons Charles Wallace. He just leaves him, and you know if that poor kid didn't have abandonment issues before, he sure as shit will now. Mm -hmm. Also, he just did a shitty job of tessering overall because they have no idea where they are and also he almost killed Meg. Dad Murray, totally worth Ooh. rescuing. Definitely worth all that effort. So Meg is basically paralyzed, but that doesn't stop her from screaming at her father for being such a useless dillweed. And I guess she screams so loud that the native population shows up and uh, they're a bunch of furry tentacle monsters. With four arms and, and more than ten fingers. And no face. But they're not tingle they're not fingers, they're tentacles. <laughs> they're tingle. <laughs> tingle. They're ting tingticles. <laughs> Better than testicles. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Furry faceless creatures with ten testicles. <laughs> on each on each arm. Oh my god. That's... More than forty testicles. That's a lot of testicles. Per creature with no face. <laughs> no face, all the testes. Wow, really? You want you want no part of that? Nope. So they, these creatures see that Meg is hurt, and they're like, well, clearly you guys are not doing a good job taking care of this screaming child, so she's ours now. Lates. And uh, one of the furry tentacle fingers nurses Meg back to health, and Meg calls her Ant Beast, because that's better than the furry 
thing. With fragrant fur. With fra- yes, her fur is fragrant. It smells like I'm, the rest I'm, of the world that they're on. I'm so glad that Mad- Madeline Lingle saw fit to tell us that. So soft. <laughs> so furry. So fragrant. So many testicles. <laughs> <laughs> Since Dad Murray turned out to be such a fucking bust, Megan Calvin wished that the Mrs. W's would come back and help. And so they do. Now you can do it. We are here! And they are! Woo! <laughs> I mean, they're not fully there. They're, they're, they're sort of... Uh, like, yeah, like... In, uh, intangible. Yeah, like partially there because yeah. they're weakened. Yes, they're just sort of blurry shapes. And Meg is just like, God, finally, someone is here to take control of the situation and, and fix it. Except no. No. No, they're not. No. They just came to once again reiterate that no... They can't go to Kamazots and help get CW Television Network back. We can't do anything. <laughs> we came to tell you that no, we still can't do stuff. And I guess this is worth pointing out again, though, because Meg finally realizes that she can't just rely on people to fix stuff for her and, you know, help her not feel like a garbage person, and she needs to self-actualize and save Charles Wallace herself. Hashtag empowered. Hashtag empowered because she has the strongest bond with him. Now, to be fair, she whines about being scared and not wanting to do it a whole bunch first but as soon as calvin and dad marie start being like no meg can't do it she she can't she can't handle it let one of us go instead she she takes control of those meg murray faults again and is like no i'm going because i'm gonna go beat the shit out of that fucking brain also fuck you dad the uh the mrs w is tess her meg back to camazots and give her the cryptic advice that she can beat it Because she has something that it doesn't. Though Meg has no idea what that could be. Legs. Hair. Nervous system. Non-communist feelings. Debilitating self-esteem issues. She goes back to Central Central, etc. And uh, finds the room with it and Charles Wallace Christopher Robin. And they're just hanging out. Nothing wrong with that. Hey brain. Just a sentient disembodied brain and a five-year-old. Broing down. So, evil mind-controlled Charles Wallace starts saying more mean shit about how the Mrs. W is betrayed her and, and sent her to it to be brainwashed and that everyone hates her. And she's almost the point of, like, I'm gonna smack this little fucker when she snaps out of it and reminds herself, like, this is her sweet baby brother who she loves. And that's when she realizes the secret weapon against it that she has and it doesn't was... Love. Love. Power of love. And that's the power of love. <laughs> Dude, that's the power of love. There, I'm good. Yeah. Yep. So Meg is like, uh, I guess I have to love it instead of punching it, but that's gross. So she loves Charles Wallace instead, because technically he's being controlled by it. So He's a know. conduit. Yeah. Okay. Ah. ah. <laughs> so it's the same thing, really. And it works. And the real Charles Wallace, baby genius, comes back, and then they're back home. Just like that. They crash land in front of the Murray household along with Calvin and Dad Murray. And then Mom Murray and the Twids and even the family dog all run out and hug and cry and all that other stuff. And Meg sees the blurry shapes of the Mrs. W's nearby who are like, Hey, we wish we had time for a real goodbye, but we... And they disappear mid-sentence. Too weak. And the book ends. It just ends. Like that. They didn't even really defeat it. They just escaped from it. That gross-ass brain thing is still, like, chilling on Kamazots, controlling the population and oozing brain goo. If there's lightness, 
there will always be darkness. You can't defeat it, Meg. It's like the yin and the yang. And if you have one, <laughs> you're going to have the other. You wandered back from whatever sort of mental uh, vacation. vacation you were taking to drop that one on were us. Were you in the Alps? No, I was in my feudal state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they did get their dad back. Yeah? He kind of sucks, but he's back. Look, a world without a heterosexual white cis male is a pretty boring world. <laughs> Well, the most important thing of all about this story is not the return of the kind of shitty cis white man. Also, way to be making assumptions on your part. The point of the story is Meg has learned to love instead oh, of whine and punch and, and, and hate herself. When's this Meg going to learn that? I'm, I'm going to learn to punch you right now. The end. Oh, thank God. That's a wrinkle in time. So, in terms of sequels, prequels, intercools, and what have you, is uh, the sequel, A Wind in the Door, which takes place shortly after A Wrinkle in Time. It's probably my favorite out of all of them, at least as of 10 to 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. But if you thought A Wrinkle in Time was some high-concept trippy shit, A Wind in the Door involves an epic battle of good versus evil with a bunch of formless extraterrestrial angels and the majority of the action takes place in one of Charles Wallace's mitochondria. Ah, whoa. It makes sense in context. This is then followed by A Swiftly Tilting Planet, which is set 10 years after A Wind in the Door and involves a teenage Charles Wallace and a winged unicorn named Gaudiar traveling through time and the telepathic consciousnesses of people from the past in order to avert nuclear war. You know, lighthearted stuff. Yeah, as you do. Finally, there's Many Waters, which is technically an interquel, as it takes place after A Wind of the Door, but way before A Swiftly Tilting Planet, and it finally gives the, those twins, those boring-ass twins that we hear about maybe like once or twice, Sandy and Dennis, it gives them an adventure of their own. It, it flings them back to biblical times, just before the Great Flood. If they weren't <laughs> religious enough. No, this is the one that's the most overtly Christian book of them and uh they flirt with noah's daughter and it's kind of weird in terms of direct adaptations of a wrinkle in time there was a graphic novel in 2012 illustrated by hope larson that i own and that scott's looking at right now has some <laughs> scary illustrations <laughs> i love it like I, I, it's it is really cool but it does fall short in some places art wise because i mean like that's a daunting task it has to illustrate some wild ass bullshit so it's kind of expected that some bits just aren't going to work. In uh, 2003, there was a TV movie adaptation that aired on ABC, and I've never seen it, but it, it's not well-reviewed. Um, this is in part due to originally being a miniseries that was cut down to 128 minutes. Uh, Recipe for disaster. Yeah. Lingle is quoted as saying, I have glimpsed it. I expected it to be bad. And, and it, it is. Woof. <laughs> 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 At least she's honest. Yep. <laughs> And of course, obviously, the whole reason that we did this book now, the 2018 movie that came out as of this recording, literally today. This is where the spoilers are going to come in, like a huge differences between the book and the movie. If you, haven't, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want anything, this is where you can stop listening. The head was in the box. jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Kaiser Sose. So the movie's kind of a, a mixed bag just in general, but it's also interesting in what it takes from the book and what it does not take, and how, what was it, how you put it, that it, it oh. overcomplicates and simplifies at the same time. Yeah, overcomplicates and simplifies at the same time. Yeah. They tessered. <laughs> <laughs>
the acting in is really good. The kids are great. I really like how they did Charles Wallace because he feels more like a kid to me than the version that, you know, I feel like I read in the book. And he just cues a button. Oh, he's so freaking cute. And he's adopted. Yeah, they changed that. They, they cut the twins entirely, which is, like, fine. They really don't contribute anything to the story. And, they, yeah, they changed it so that, I mean, if you've seen any of the trailers, you've seen that Meg is, is biracial, that her, her mom is black and her dad is Chris Pine. Chris Pine, <laughs> yes. He is the race known as Chris Pine. And then they, when she's young, they show a flashback where they just decide to adopt Charles Wallace. And I'm not sure why they made that choice, but it's fine. And a lot of shaky camera... Uh, out of focus shots. Yeah, a lot of weird handy cam shit. It's really intense love between a family. Yes, they love each other so goddamn much. So much that the cameras couldn't focus it. Nope, couldn't handle it. I liked that Meg was biracial because it added a lot more complexity to the character. Yeah, it totally does. Although, they didn't take as much advantage because there's a specific line in the book that I even thought of. Oh, where, yeah, they didn't have it in yeah, the Yeah, they movie. didn't even have it in the movie where... Because Calvin and um, Charles Wallace bond because they're both the same weird breed of semi-psychic kid. And Meg is sort of in between it. They, they say, you know, she's not like the twins who are just totally normal kids. But she's not like Charles Wallace either. And so they say, you know, she's just really not like one thing or the other. And so she feels othered no matter what. Mm-hmm. And yeah, being a mixed race, you know, kid, you're going to have some of those feelings, I would imagine. So, uh, yeah, they could have kind of taken more of that, I think, from the book because it definitely adds a layer to to that sort of, those feelings that you would be experiencing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Dad also gets a big upgrade. Not nearly as incompetent. No, he does still abandon his boy. He abandons Meg, too. Well, she kind of forces herself back. Yeah, she forces the abandonment because they completely cut furry tentacle Aunt Beast. Aunt Beast. No, no Aunt Beast. There's a one-line reference when they they go see the happy medium and who's Zach Galifianakis and is actually really great. Amazing. He's actually really, really good. And there's this weird one-off line where they're looking at different plants and he's like, oh, hey, there's Aunt Beast. Hey, Aunt Beast, see ya. There's no disembodied floppy brain. No, no, they just seek battle inside of a brain on top of black neurons. Yeah, which looks pretty cool, actually. The movie visually is very cool. And Meg is confronted with Mirror Meg. Yes. That's the penultimate scene. That That's pretty good. When she good. defeats... It, it, it promises that it could make her into someone better because, you know, she hates herself and all of her faults and her flaws... And they show this sort of mirror Meg who is like prettier Straight and hair. girlier. Yeah, she got wearing... that relaxed white girl hair. Yep, yep. The way you could be better is to be more white Meg. But nah, she pushes that bitch off a cliff. Because Calvin said, I like your hair like three separate times. Yes. And she finally accepted it as a compliment and accepted her own beauty. Empowerment! Empowered. And Oprah is 80 feet tall. Oh, everyone needs an 80 foot Oprah in their life. <laughs> so you could just brush her chin lightly with your that tiny hands. So uh, Reese Witherspoon is Miss What's It, and yeah. Mindy Kaling is, is Miss Miss Who. Uh, they give Mrs. Who more modern, contemporary, lines. yeah, more more contemporary quotes. Oh gosh, what was the first one? It was a song like Outcast or something. That wasn't the first one, but that is one. Well, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then at one point, I think she goes like, "Dang, Chris Tucker, American." Yes. <laughs> and then at the end, she quotes Hamilton. So that happens. Yep, American Miranda, <laughs> and my dumbass turned to everyone and said, 
from Sex in the City? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that was And right. I went, oh, oh, oh Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> and the quote was literally like, tomorrow there'll be more of us. Yeah, because <laughs> Lin is owned by Disney now. Yep. They own his ass. They're going to shoehorn him into everything. Hell yeah. Surprising they didn't have him write some of the original music. There's some original pop songs in the movie and they fucking suck. Terrible. Not like anyone like singing along. Like it's not a musical. They're very not good. But anyway, I try to get back on point. So I mentioned this one really good thing. So Reese Witherspoon, instead of transforming into a winged genderless centaur centaur person, she becomes a giant leaf creature. Yep. Like a, a flying sea slug. Is really better than the other thing, to be fair. It was a choice. And as the, the children are, are skimming across the sky on Leaf Reese with her spoon. Leaf Reese. <laughs> Leaf Reese. Giant Oprah Winfrey is overseeing this whole situation. Like, mm, yes, this is good. And uh, little Charles Wallace <laughs> reaches up a hand. And brushes her chin she, ever so lovingly. Just and, brushes against her giant Oprah chin like someone passing beneath a blue whale or some yeah. sort of like... <laughs> oh, it's like the scene in Free Willy when Free Willy jumps over the kitten and reaches up and brushes, brushes his it's stomach. It's so weird. It's so fucking weird. Yeah, they could have cut out a lot of the super saccharine, lovey-dovey, cutesy, this is a miraculous place kind of stuff and yeah. actually focus more on the story. But hey. Because there's a good story in there. And, you know, they, they pull the important themes out of the source material. Like the themes of empowerment and wonder and like crazy shit and and learning how to be okay with yourself and and things like that are all still very much present there's just all this extra shit on it that doesn't need to be there yeah rj died rj stopped participating because he's dead now no he got taken by it that was the sound of the last of the methane gases leaving his body Overall, the movie's kind of, uh, in terms of an adaptation, it's a mixed bag. In terms of just the thing that stands on its own, it's a mixed bag. But I think it's worth seeing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After all that. After all I, that. I, I would wait for it to come out on uh, Redbox. All right, so let's uh, let's get that last big formalote out of the way. Scott, Wrinkle in Time. The book, not the movie. Mm-hmm. Good or bad? Good. It's so, it's, it's so complex and like... The vocabulary is intense and like it just deals with string theory and quantum mechanics and all this crazy stuff. Little sprinklings of Jesus in there, but that's you know, you can look past it. But <laughs> it was it's just, of Jesus. I think I think it's the aside from Harry Potter, it's probably the most enjoyable kids book that deals with heavy themes that I've read. That's high praise. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Do you think they make Chris Pine specifically look like Jesus? No. No. Just happens that way? No, it's just the style. People love a rugged man. Yep. Although he was the cool one because he had the twill jacket and like the suit and then he had those he white kicks. Did. And yeah. I was like, God damn it, why are you trying so hard? That was a look. <laughs> at the NASA thing at of the all na- places. <laughs> at the NASA. Way to be profesh. Yeah. I show up to NASA in my white kicks to teach him about quantum theory. Again. The movie. Not, <laughs> not the, the book. book. <laughs> RJ. So here's my problem. Oh, okay. There's a lot of stuff in trailers that didn't make it into the movie. And so I'm wondering, where's all that footage? Ain't there. The one big thing that was in the trailer and not in the movie that bugged me is where she's actually explaining, explaining that we take time and we wrinkle it and here's the ant and the string and the, which is all in the book. Although she doesn't well, in explain the book, it. The mom yet. does it. Yeah, the mom explains it, not not her, but still. No, the people seen it are stellar, and so we all understand. A tesseract usually goes between bookcases, but <laughs> you know that we've expanded it since then. That the, these are 
celestial beings are not just future humans who suck at making Tesseract. But no, the thing that I know that was in the trailer that wasn't in the movie is Chris Pine like yelling and screaming inside the Drake box. Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah, true. Saw, yeah. Yeah. I was wondering where that was too. Oh yeah, he's trapped in his prison is a Drake box from from Hotline Bling. But anyway, I'm asking for your opinion about the I'm not that about the movie. You never asked my opinion about the movie when you were discussing the movie. Yeah, because you didn't want to talk. I said, you want to contribute? And you said, no, I'm tired. Don't make me talk. So, fuck you. I'm opinionated now. Oh, suddenly I got my opinions. I got my second wind. Okay, anything else you want to throw on there? A wrinkle in time? More like a bad time. Scalding, scorching hot take. A wrinkle in my ass. <laughs> Great, okay. Hey, Megan. What did you think of A Wrinkle in Time? Hey, well, Megan. I, yeah. What did you think about the book A Wrinkle in Time? Hey, Megan. Oh, I think I made it pretty clear. Hey, Megan. May I help you? A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Good or Oil of Olay. I think I made it pretty clear at this point that I very did much you? like this book. I can't book. tell. What? I'm swear Meg- to God. I'm- Wrinkle in Time's a good book. Re- read it to your kids. Have your kids read it. It, it won't talk down to them, they'll learn... You sound pretty they'll... angry, Meg. And then pick up A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Pretty much goes real well together. If you haven't read it since you were a little kid, come back to it now. Read it as an adult. You're still going to get something out of it, and it'll and be And learn cool. some new words. Yes. Just read it as an adult in general for the first time. Scott had a pretty positive experience doing it. I did, I did. And apparently he was really dumb in school, so... Yeah. And then I got a <laughs> master's degree. So there go you figure. go. And you can, too. Or you can just read Wrinkle of Time... Or you could just go see the movie and stare at Oprah Winfrey's gigantic face. Yes. And remember that all things are possible through the power of Oprah. So that'll about wrap things up for this episode of Ona Lit Class. We are here on Facebook. <laughs> and also... We are here <laughs> on Twitter. We are here on Stitcher. And iTunes and... We are here <laughs> on iTunes. Uh, also at uh, braintrustbrothers.com slash onalitclass or just onalitclass.com. You should join the Facebook group. And if you didn't like any of Scott's opinions or jokes in this episode, you can physically go on the Facebook group and tell him so. Yes. I, I don't... Uh, Opening song is by Best Day. Go check out his stuff on SoundCloud. Oh my gosh, you're so much better at this than me. <laughs> On sound. Go buy some merch. Yeah, gotta go go wait for the Wrinkle in Time uh, shirts. They're gonna come out. I'm sure they'll exist at some point. But in the meantime, you can buy all kinds of cool shirts at tpublic.com/slash/braintrustbros. Our next episode will be out on March 29th. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ, and I'm Scott. We are here. We love you. Bye. Bye. Focus up. Nut up. Or nut down. (laughs) Nut way down. (laughs) Nut as far down as you possibly can. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Brain Trust Brothers Network. For more information about this podcast or others, visit braintrustbros.com.